Amen. Please turn in your Bibles to Matthew chapter 9. We're at the end of Matthew 9. Our study through the Gospel of Matthew has brought us to verse 35 of Matthew 9. If you're using the black Bibles that the church provides there, it's on page 814. So Matthew 9, verse 35. Today we want to consider Matthew 9, 35 through chapter 10, verse 15. So I'd ask the congregation to stand once again, please, in honor of God's word. Let's please follow along as I read uh, the text we want to consider today. Matthew 9.35 And Jesus went throughout all the cities and villages, teaching in their synagogues and proclaiming the gospel of the kingdom and healing every disease and every affliction. When he saw the crowds, he had compassion for them because they were harassed and helpless like sheep without a shepherd. Then he said to his disciples, The harvest is plentiful, but the laborers are few. Therefore, pray earnestly to the Lord of the harvest to send out laborers into his harvest. And he called to him his twelve disciples and gave them authority over unclean spirits to cast them out and to heal every disease and every affliction. The names of the twelve apostles are these. First, Simon, who is called Peter, and Andrew his brother, James the son of Zebedee, and John his brother, Philip and Bartholomew, Thomas and Matthew the tax collector, James the son of Alphaeus and Thaddeus, Simon the Zealot, and Judas Iscariot, who betrayed him. These twelve Jesus sent out, instructing them, Go nowhere among the Gentiles and enter no town of the Samaritans, but go rather to the lost sheep of the house of Israel, and proclaim as you go, saying, The kingdom of heaven is at hand. Heal the sick, raise the dead, cleanse lepers, cast out demons. You received without pain, give without pay. Acquire no gold or silver or copper for your belts, no bag for your journey or two tunics or sandals or a staff, for the laborer deserves his food. In whatever town or village you enter, find out who is worthy in it and stay there until you depart. As you enter the house, greet it, and if the house is worthy, let your peace come upon it, but if it is not worthy, let your peace return to you. And if anyone will not receive you or listen to your words, shake off the dust from your feet when you leave that house or town. Truly I say to you, It will be more bearable on the day of judgment for the land of Sodom and Gomorrah than for that town. Amen. Thanks be to God for his word. Please be seated. Well, the title of the sermon this morning is The Kingdom Advances. In our text, uh, we're going to see King Jesus advancing his kingdom against the domain of darkness. And as I was just... Even this morning, just praying and thinking, Lord, what, what do you want to do through this passage? I'm praying that God will just captivate us once again with a few things, with, with the power of Christ and the power of the gospel, with the, with the love of Christ, and that he will also open our eyes to see the need that is around us. All right, so all those, those themes are kind of intertwined through this text. As the kingdom advances, may God 
uh, once again remind us of the power and love of Christ and the power of the gospel as it goes forth. And may he open our eyes to see those around us who need the gospel. So I want to work our way through the text this morning under three headings. If you're taking notes, you see those in the bulletin. They're, they're pretty uh, simple. Number one is the ministry of the king. The ministry of the king in verse 35. Matthew has given us specific, right up to this point, we're, we're nine chapters in, right? Matthew's been giving us specific examples of Jesus' teaching and Jesus' miracles and his healings. And now in verse 35, we have this kind of summary statement of Jesus' ministry in Galilee. Look at verse 35 again. And Jesus went throughout all the cities and villages, teaching in their synagogues and proclaiming the gospel of the kingdom and healing every disease and every affliction. See, that's, that's a summary of what Jesus has been doing. Jesus traveled all around Galilee, and what did he do? In, in every village he went to, every city he went to, he taught in their synagogues, he proclaimed the gospel of the kingdom, and he was healing every disease and affliction. Right? So that kind of gives you an idea of, of what Jesus' life was like, what his ministry was like at this point. Each village had, this, had a synagogue, a place where the community would gather to hear the Old Testament scriptures read and taught. And so Jesus, when he, he was an itinerant minister, right? So when he got into that town, that was probably the first place he headed, was, hey, let's go to the synagogue. That's where the people are gathering. That's where the word of God is taught. And, and so as a traveling rabbi, he'd be invited to teach. And so he would teach on that. Right? He, would, he would no doubt open up the scriptures to them, show how it was pointing toward him being the Messiah. Right? And then he would proclaim the kingdom of God. That the kingdom of God had arrived. That the kingdom of God was here in the person of himself, in Jesus the Messiah. We have an example of that teaching in Luke um, when he, he, uh, the, the scroll was read from Isaiah. Right? And it's, it's pointing toward the Messiah, saying how he's going to set the captives free. Right? And, and remember... Um, Jesus says today that's being fulfilled in your hearing, right? So he was opening up the, the scriptures and showing how they pointed toward him. He was proclaiming the good news. And we know um, Matthew's already told us at the end of the Sermon on the Mount in chapter 7, you see at other places in the Gospels that when Jesus taught, he taught with authority. The people recognized it. They said, wow, there is something different about this teaching. We're used to the scribes, the, the experts in the law. That they, when they teach, all they do is quote the other guys and just kind of blah, 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 go through it. But when Jesus speaks, he's not quoting other authorities. He himself is speaking with authority. He is speaking for God. They could see there was something special about Jesus, and we know what it was, right? That he had been personally commissioned by God. He'd been given authority, the authority of God to, to proclaim the word. And, of course, Jesus is God's son. He's God in the flesh. So, yes, he spoke with authority. This was the living word uh, expounding the word of God right before their eyes. So he would teach in their synagogues, and like I already mentioned, he would, Matthew tells us he would proclaim the gospel of the kingdom, right? Gospel means good news. So he would proclaim the good news that the long-awaited kingdom of God had arrived, and it was arriving in the person of himself, that the promised king had come. That, that, was, that was good news. They'd been waiting for God to come and rescue them, and so he's saying, hey guys, you've been waiting, but I want to I tell you the good news. It's here. The waiting is over. God has come to save and to rule like never before. God, God has powerfully stepped into this world 
to rescue his people, to rule over them in righteousness. And so we know, you know, again, we've seen samples of this preaching uh, through John the Baptist, through Jesus. He would proclaim, hey, the kingdom of God is at hand, or Matthew always says, the kingdom of heaven is at hand. Repent and believe the good news. So it was a call to believe. It was a call to rejoice because God was powerfully rescuing and gathering his people. And it was also a warning to them to repent. He was saying, hey, the king has come. The king is building his kingdom, and so you need to turn and submit to his rule, right? We've all rebelled against it. We're all sinners by nature, but, but the king is offering forgiveness. And so now is the time to repent and believe and follow him and submit to his authority. Alongside his preaching and teaching then, verse 35 says Jesus was healing every disease and every affliction. We've seen several examples of that so far in Matthew, haven't we? Examples of Christ's power and compassion to heal. How the blind have been made to see, the deaf have been made to hear, the mute speak, the lepers have been cleansed, the sick have been made well, the demon oppressed have been set free, and even the dead have been raised. And so Jesus would powerfully do this in every town that he went in. And these healings were Not only were they just displays of power and displays of God's compassion, but they were authenticating the message that the kingdom of God has arrived, right? He's saying, hey, God's kingdom is here. God's entering into this world to save and deliver. And here's examples of it as as the domain of darkness is pushed back, right? As demons are cast out, as as, um, the effects of the fall are being reversed right before their eyes. And so it was, it was a powerful illustration or, or proof that the reign of God had broken into their lives, that the long-awaited Messiah had indeed come to set the captives free and reign over his people in righteousness. And so just imagine what it was like for to, if you were traveling around with Jesus, right? By this time, he's called disciples. We know he's got this inner group of 12 disciples that we'll talk about in a moment. And they're just going with Jesus from town to town. He's doing this in every town, right? He, he's, he's, he's teaching with authority. He's preaching with authority. He's, he's demonstrating that authority through these healings. And, of course, again, those physical healings not only were showing the power of the kingdom of God, but they were pointing to the, the ultimate healing, the ultimate deliverance that Jesus had come to do, right? How he was going to die on the cross and rise again. How he was going to defeat Satan at the, at the cross and the empty tomb. And so Matthew tells us in verse 35, Jesus did this throughout all the cities and villages. This was an, an extensive ministry. He was covering all kinds of ground here. Um, Galilee, you know, when you try to figure out how big was Galilee, how, how many people were there? Well, we have a pretty good idea because you probably heard of Josephus, right? The historian the Jewish historian Josephus, he wrote just about one generation after Jesus, so pretty close to to the time, right? He said that Galilee had 204 cities or villages, and that altogether it was about 3 million people. So that gives you an idea of just the, the, the breadth of Christ's ministry. How exciting was that? Think of how many lives were being changed, how much power was being shown, how much love and compassion was being shown as Jesus proclaimed the good news, as people got excited about that, as they, by God's grace, some believed, some were starting to follow him, lives were being changed. The kingdom is advancing. 
Right? The kingdom of God is advancing. It's, it's broken through in the person of Jesus, and it's, it's advancing. With every healing, he's pushing back the domain of darkness. Every life changed as someone who's been transferred from Satan's domain into the kingdom of God. All right, so that gives us an example of the ministry of the king. But then I love verses 36 to 38 because they show us the heart of the king. That's our second heading now, the heart of the king. Look at verse 36. Again, Jesus is out here ministering. All kinds of crowds are flocking to him, right? Well, what's, what's Jesus feel about this? Is he just kind of going through the motions, you know, punching the, the, the clock, right? No. It says, verse 36, when he saw the crowds, he had compassion for them because they were harassed and helpless like sheep without a shepherd. Isn't that beautiful? That, that, that's showing us the heart of God. That's showing us the heart of our Savior. As Jesus is out ministering, he's, again, he's coming into contact with all these people. And, it, and when he sees them, he's, he's moved. He has compassion. That word translated compassion is a strong emotional Greek verb. <laughs> right? And all the scholars, they say, man, there's no good way to really... There's no one-for-one translation in English, right? To really get the, the, the thrust of the idea of this verb. It, it's, it carries this idea of compassion, of pity, of sympathy, of feeling. And, and the word itself points to a, a, a moving in the very innards of your body, the very bowels of your body, right? Where they thought the seat of emotions were. And so the closest equivalence we would have to this is the expression, his heart went out to them. His heart went out to them. So when Jesus sees these crowds of of needy people, his heart is going out to them. He's moved with pity, with compassion for them. Why? Well, verse 36 says, because they were harassed and helpless like sheep without a shepherd. Harassed means to be troubled and distressed from external circumstances that are pushing against you, that are warring against you. And so Jesus saw that the people were harassed. They They were oppressed And they were helpless. They could not free themselves from this oppression. They could not find relief. They were like sheep without a shepherd. That's that's a, um, I don't know, scary is the right word. That's kind of a uh, sorrowful picture, isn't it? Sheep without a shepherd. What do we know about sheep? They need a shepherd, don't they? Right? Sheep cannot care for themselves. Sheep on their own are defenseless. Sheep on their own are are unable to provide for their needs. And when Jesus saw these people, that's exactly what he was seeing. He was seeing people who were in bondage to sin with no one to set them free. He was seeing people who were being oppressed by Satan, but there was no one to rescue them. He was seeing scores and scores of people in great spiritual need, but with no one to provide for them, no one to feed them, no one to teach them. He saw people who were facing real danger, right? They were living in a fallen world. They had enemies, Satan and his, and his minions, but there was no one there to protect them. He saw people who were lost and separated from God, but there was no one to, to lead them back to God. They were sheep without a shepherd. And so when, people, when Jesus saw people like this, his heart went out to them. He was moved. He was, he was stirred in his very being. He felt compassion. Again, what a beautiful um, 
response. What a beautiful window into the heart of God, right? Jesus is God in the flesh. And in the Gospels, when you study the life of Christ, you see him displaying lots of different emotions. But did you know that the, the, one, the emotion that is, is mentioned the most often in the Bible of Jesus is, is this one right here, compassion. Compassion, isn't that beautiful? God is a compassionate God. Jesus is a compassionate Savior and King. His heart goes out to those who are in need. Isn't that our story, right? God looked at us and he saw our need. He saw the danger we were in. He saw the the, the bondage to sin. He saw the separation from God. And praise God, he didn't just, whatever, right? No, he, he was moved and he responded with grace, with sovereign grace, right? Of course, you know, you take it back further. God responded by sending Jesus, right? To live and die and rise again in the place of sinners. And then in each of our lives, he, re- he responded with his spirit to give us new life, to open our eyes, to, to draw us to himself in faith and repentance. Praise God that he's a compassionate God. And so Jesus is a compassionate king and savior. And I want you to see something else about this image of sheep without a shepherd. There's a few different places in the Bible it's mentioned. I'm only going to take you to one today just for the sake of time. You can look at Numbers 27 on your own. But Ezekiel 34. Will you turn back there with me, please, to the Old Testament? Ezekiel chapter 34. Page 722, if you're using the Black Bibles. Ezekiel 34. What's happening here in Ezekiel is God is rebuking the religious leaders of Israel for failing to shepherd his people. All right, so we won't go through the whole chapter, but let me just read a few verses here. Look at verses 1 through 6. The word of the Lord came to me. Son of man, prophesy against the shepherds of Israel. Prophesy and say to them, even to the shepherds, thus says the Lord God. Ah, shepherds of Israel who've been feeding yourselves. Should not shepherds feed the sheep? You eat the fat. You clothe yourselves with the wool. You slaughter the fat ones. But you do not feed the sheep. The weak you've not strengthened. The sick you've not healed. The injured you've not bound up. Right, all the things a shepherd should be doing. The, the strayed you've not brought back, the lost you've not sought. And with force and harshness you have ruled them. So they were scattered because there was no shepherd. And they became food for all the wild beasts, right? They're left vulnerable. My sheep were scattered. They wandered all, over all the mountains and on every high hill. My sheep were scattered over all the face of the earth with none to search or seek for them. And that's the condition that Jesus finds the people the Jews of his day in, right? They, were, they, they should have had leaders, right? They should have had shepherds who were feeding them the God's word, who were ministering to their souls, who were leading them down the paths of righteousness, who were warning them of the dangers of straying from God's commands. But instead, just like in Ezekiel 34, the, the Pharisees, the scribes, they weren't shepherding God's people. They were neglecting their duties. They were they were failing to help and protect. Instead, they were 
What, what, what do we know from the Gospels? They were loading huge burdens on their back, right? Instead of teaching the pure word of God, they were adding all their traditions onto it. They, they were failing to protect the vulnerable. They were not looking on people with pity and saying, oh, I need to bind them up and, and help them. No, they're looking on them with disdain, right? Remember how they reacted when Jesus dined with the tax collectors and sinners? Oh, what's he doing over there, right? No, so the leaders were failing to shepherd God's people. Let's go back to Ezekiel 34. Look at verse 10 now. Let's skip down to verse 10. Right, this is what's happening. Look at what God says then. Verse 10, Thus says the Lord God, Behold, I am against the shepherds, and I will require my sheep at their hand and put a stop to their, fe- to their feeding the sheep. No longer shall the shepherds feed themselves. I will rescue my sheep from their mouths that they will not be food for them, right? The shepherds are actually harming the sheep. Verse 11, For thus says the Lord God, Behold, I, I myself will search for my sheep and will seek them out. As a shepherd seeks out his flock when he is among his sheep that have been scattered, so will I seek out my sheep, and I will rescue them from all places where they've been scattered on a day of clouds and thick darkness. And I will bring them out from the peoples and gather them from the countries and I will bring them into their own land and I will feed them on the mountains of Israel by the ravines and in all the inhabited places of the country. I will feed them with good pasture and on the mountain heights of Israel shall be their grazing land. Then they shall lie down in good grazing land, right? You're thinking Psalm 23, the Lord is my shepherd, right? Then they, oh, sorry, um, And on rich pasture they shall feed on the mountains of Israel. I myself, this is still the Lord speaking, right? I myself will be the shepherd of my sheep. And I myself will make them lie down, declares the Lord. I will seek the lost. I will bring back the strayed. And I will bind up the injured. And I will strengthen the weak and and the fat and the strong. I will destroy. I will feed them in justice. You see what he's saying here in Ezekiel? Since the religious leaders would not, since the ones who should have been the shepherds are not caring for the sheep, God says, I myself will do it. I will search for my sheep and care for them. I will come down and shepherd my people. And here in Matthew, we're seeing God do just that. Right? God has come down. Jesus, the eternal son of God, has come to earth to save his people from their sins, to shepherd them. And that's what we heard Garrett read earlier, right? In John 10, Jesus saying, I'm the good shepherd. I know my own and they know me. My sheep hear my voice. They follow me. I lay down my life for the sheep. No one takes it from me, but I lay it down on my own accord. I have authority to lay it down and authority to take it up again. So Jesus, the good shepherd, had come to shepherd the people of God. So I, I just love that picture. He, he looks out, he sees the need. He sees how, how needy the people are. They're, they're harassed, they're helpless, like sheep without a shepherd. And he's like, that's why I've come. That's why I've come. And that's why I'm out here ministering. That's why I'm out here teaching and preaching the gospel. That's, that's why I'm healing, to, to again, <laughs> point them to the truth of what I'm preaching. That's why I'm going to the cross to lay down my life so that they can be delivered from their greatest enemies of sin and death and Satan. 
So Jesus was caring for his sheep through this ministry, through teaching, preaching, healing, and of course, again, his ultimate care would come by dying for them on the cross to deliver them from sin and death. So that's verse 36. Now in verse 37, Jesus switches from the picture of sheep to a harvest. Verse 37, then he said to his disciples, the harvest is plentiful, but the laborers are few. So when he looks out and sees the crowds, he sees one sheep. One thing he sees is sheep without a shepherd. But another thing he sees is he sees a harvest. He sees grain that's ready to be harvested for the gospel. Jesus tells his disciples the harvest is plentiful. And so, again, when he looks out and sees the crowds, yes, he sees people who are hurting, people who are lost, people who are in great need, people who are desperate for salvation. He sees people who, by God's grace, are ready to respond to the gospel. The harvest is plentiful, he says, but the laborers are few. There are people, yes, ready to respond to the gospel, but there's an urgent need of workers to go and proclaim the good news to them. So what should be done about that, right? Well, you might think, well, man, we need, to, we need to get busy, right? The first thing we need to do is we need to recruit and train more workers, right? We need to get them out in the fields proclaiming the gospel, And I think those are good ideas later on, but that's not where Jesus tells us to start, right? Look at what the first thing he says we are to do. Verse 38, pray. The harvest is plentiful, but the labors are few. Therefore, pray earnestly to the Lord of the harvest to send out laborers into his harvest. Isn't that interesting? The first thing we are to do is pray to God, to the Lord of the harvest, that he would send out more workers into his harvest field. So we're praying and asking God to raise up more workers, to spread the gospel, to to display the love of Christ, the power of, of Christ. So isn't that interesting? This is not The need is not to be responded to with in our own strength, in our own wisdom. Let's try to recruit and train and do this. No, this is first recognizing we need God. We need God to raise up the workers. Because we need people who are going to be endowed by God, who are going to be gifted, with, with, given gifts and given the grace and the strength and the courage to minister the gospel. Because it's going to be challenging work. And, and this, again, loved ones, just reminds us, salvation is of the Lord, right? This is not like a marketing campaign. This is not some kind of, whatever, business model. No, salvation is of the Lord. Only God can give new life to dead hearts. Only God can open the eyes of the blind, of our, our spiritual eyes of our heart. Only God can draw people to Christ, Only God can give the workers the strength, the love, the courage, the faith, the perseverance they need to labor in gospel ministry. God is the one who gifts us. God is the one who calls us to serve in various ways. But the first thing we must do and the the ongoing thing we must do is pray. Is pray. 
So there's a big application for us today, AGC. Let us pray. Let us fervently ask God to raise up laborers to go out into this world and point people to Jesus. Let us pray for our ministry partners who are already out there doing that, right? Let us pray for them. Let's pray for God to raise up more. Let's pray for God to raise up more and more people to serve him. Raise up more who will serve him here, serve him abroad. D.A. Carson said this about about this uh, passage. This does not mean that we should do nothing but pray. But it does mean we should do nothing without praying. You see what he's saying? We're we're not saying, well, all we have to do then is, is pray and then, you know, we just kind of sit on our hands. Nobody's saying, but before we do anything else, we must pray. And everything we do must be bathed in prayer. We know from the totality of Scripture that we too have a responsibility to be workers in this harvest. We are called to go and make disciples of all nations, Matthew 28. We're, we are called to be ambassadors for Christ, 2 Corinthians 5. So, yes, let us go. Let us serve. Let us recruit and train others to go. But let it all be bathed in prayer. Let us pray for open doors for the gospel. Let us pray that we're able to proclaim it clearly. Let us pray for the word as it is preached, as it is taught through our ministry partners, through this pulpit, through the the different groups we have ministering. Let us pray for God to raise up more workers for his harvest field. Jesus says the harvest is plentiful, that people are ready to respond. And I think it's convicting to think about that, right? Because I don't think we we often think that way. I don't think we think that way. I think we see so much evil around us, and there is, that we just kind of get this mentality like, this is all just going down the tubes, and there's no one who's going to respond But loved ones, we must remember that God is sovereign. Let us never forget that God is still sovereignly drawing people to himself. There are people around us who God might be very well calling to salvation, to faith in Christ. Could could we not say the same thing as we look out and say, wow, these people are like sheep without a shepherd. Right? There are people around us who have tried all that this world offers and have still been left empty. There are people who are trapped in sinful habits and practices. There are people who are searching for answers as to what, what is life all about? Why do I even exist? Who am I? And by God's grace, through the word of God, we have the answers to those questions. And so let us pray for God to send forth workers into the harvest field. Let us pray for God to use us to point others to Christ. And so speaking of of doing that, right, Jesus has just said, hey, the harvest is, 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 the the field is, is ready for harvest. Pray for God to send forth more workers. And then as we move into chapter 10, that's exactly what Jesus does. 
And that leads us to our third and final heading then. The extension of the king. The extension of the king. Look at chapter 10, verse 1. We're back in Matthew 10. And he called to him his twelve disciples and gave them authority over unclean spirits to cast them out and to heal every disease and every affliction. So what, what's happening here, Jesus is sum, summoning his inner core of disciples, right? The twelve. We often call them the twelve disciples. Those whom Jesus had personally called to, to follow him. Matthew's only told us about five of those. The four fishermen and himself. But we know that Jesus had, had called twelve men. And Matthew's going to list them for us here in a, in a moment. And these men have been with Jesus for some time. They've been with him on his ministry into Galilee and observing what he's doing. They've been hearing him preach to the crowds and watching him heal and cast out demons. And they've been getting to, they've been the beneficiaries of all this teaching, right? Soaking in his teaching. And now Jesus determines it's time for them to begin ministering as well. And now here in verse 2, Matthew gives us the names, right? I won't read those again. I read them earlier, but um, Matthew puts them in pairs. Many, many think that's because he was going to send them out two by two, right, on this mission. And again, we often call them the 12 disciples. But here we see that these men are not only disciples, right? A disciple is anyone who follows Jesus, who is seeking to learn from him and become like him, you know, who's believed in him and submitted to him. But these men are apostles, right? Did you see that? Again, verse 1, he called to him his 12 disciples and gave them authority over unclean spirits, right? And then look at verse 2, the names of the 12 apostles are these. Apostle means one who is sent out, who's personally called and sent out by Jesus Christ. And so that's what these guys are. These, these apostles are going to serve as Christ's official representatives, They're going to be doing the same thing that he was just doing. They're going to be proclaiming the gospel. They're going to be performing miracles, authenticating the message, right? Because Jesus is giving them his power and authority, right? We know he's the one who has the power. On their own, these men couldn't do this, right? Jesus is the one who's powerful. He teaches with authority. He's the one who heals and casts out demons, But here he's giving the 12 the ability and the authority to carry on the work that he's been doing. And so they're the apostles. Verse 5, these 12 Jesus sent out, there it is again, the apostle is someone who's sent out, instructing them, go nowhere among the Gentiles and enter no town of the Samaritans, but go rather to the lost sheep of the house of Israel. So this is a specific mission. This initial mission was to the Jews only. Later at the end of the Gospel of Matthew, when when Jesus has died and rose again and is about ready to ascend into heaven, he's going to give the great commission, right? Where he, he commands them to go and make disciples of all nations, right? But there's an order here. The Gospel will extend to the Jew first and then to the Gentile. Now, Why did Jesus have 12? Why not 8? Why not 15 or 20? Well, many of you probably are thinking about the 12 tribes of Israel, right? And that's exactly why. Jesus chose 12 because there were 12 tribes of Israel, 
And so what Jesus is doing here is he's regathering his people. He's forming a new Israel. So again, if you just kind of trek the, the, the progress of salvation here, you know, you go to the book of Acts after Jesus has died and, and, and risen again, ascended into heaven. In the book of Acts, you have 120 Jewish believers together in the room, right? And then at Pentecost, the Holy Spirit comes upon them. They begin to proclaim the gospel in other languages. There's a lot of Jews from all around who are there hearing, hearing the gospel proclaimed in other languages. Uh, Peter preaches filled with the Holy Spirit. And 3,000 Jews from various regions are saved. So the gospel is spreading still to the Jews. Then in Acts 8, the gospel goes to the Samaritans. And then in Acts 10, you've got Cornelius and his crew who hear the gospel, who are Gentiles who hear the gospel from, from Peter. And then, of course, you've got Paul and all his missionary journeys, right? And so the gospel goes out to the Gentiles. But that's the, that's the progression. The gospel goes to the Jews first because Jesus was a Jew, And he was restoring Israel to himself. The Messiah came up through the Old Covenant, through the Mosaic Covenant. He was restoring Israel to himself, laying the foundation so that then the the church has has this Jewish foundation. And the beauty of that is that we're the, the new Israel. And back in the Old Testament, Israel was supposed to be a light to the nations. They were supposed to... To, to uh, point to the beauty and the power of God. But they, they failed at that. But now, by God's grace, the church can fulfill that. We're taking the gospel to the nations. We're reaching the nations in a way that Old Covenant Israel never did. We're, we're a, God is building us into a holy temple where, where the Spirit dwells, where people can come and see something of the beauty and the glory of God. So in verse 7, notice what the apostles were to do on this initial mission to the house of Israel, to the Jews. Proclaim as you go, saying, the kingdom of heaven is at hand. Heal the sick, raise the dead, cleanse lepers, cast out demons. Does that sound familiar? (laughs) That's exactly what Jesus has been doing, right? Again, they're just an extension of his ministry. It's his saving reign that is spreading. Jesus is extending his reign through his apostles. And again, we know the disciples, the apostles, they were not qualified for this. They didn't possess the authority in and of themselves. But Jesus had called them and equipped them. They were representing him. They were going in his power. Jesus continues giving instructions. I'm going to go through these instructions fairly quickly. In verse 8, you received without paying, give without pay, right? They had received salvation freely, so they're to minister it without expecting pay. Verse 9, acquire no gold or silver or copper for your belts, no bag for your journey, or two tunics or sandals or a staff, for the laborer deserves his food. He's telling them, hey guys, travel light, depend on God to meet your needs. You're going to be staying in people's homes that you're ministering to. You need to trust that God's going to provide for you, right? And again, this is, a, this is not meant to be a prescription for all now. This is the way all gospel ministries to be done for all time now, right? Like missionaries shouldn't raise support or pastors shouldn't be paid or anything like that. No, it's, this was specific for this mission to Israel. We know from Acts and the epistles the way things were done. That Paul didn't, didn't uh, 
always demand his rights to be paid, right? In First Thessalonians, he, he worked to set an example for them, but he said, hey, I have, I have the right to be reimbursed from the gospel. We see the churches supporting Paul on, on his different missionary journeys. And so we know now how we can do that, that missionaries can raise support, pastors can be supported by their churches so that they can focus on gospel ministry. But the enduring principle that we get from Matthew 10 for us today is we, we're, it all comes from God. We've got to ultimately depend on God. Verse 11, more instructions here. Whatever town or village you enter, find out who is worthy in it. Stay there until you depart. As you enter the house, greet it. And if the house is worthy, let your peace come upon it. But if it's not worthy, let your peace return to you. You say, what is all this worthy stuff? Well, this is talking about how they're going to be received. Worthy is indicates someone who responds positively to their, to their ministry, to their message. If someone's like, hey, we're glad you're here. Hey, I love what you're preaching. I believe that. Will you stay with me, right? And, and they welcome them in and show hospitality to them. Jesus says, if they're willing to have you, then stay with them until it's time to leave, until it's time to go to the next village. And while you're there, pronounce a blessing on those. Because by them receiving Christ's apostles, they're really receiving Jesus. And so that they will be blessed. That will bring a blessing of, of the blessing of God upon them. But then in verse 14, Jesus warns the apostles, You're not, not everybody is going to receive you. Not everybody is going to accept you. And if anyone will not receive you or listen to your words, shake off the dust from your feet when you leave that house or town. Truly I say to you, it will be more bearable on the day of judgment for the land of Sodom and Gomorrah than for that town. So that's, that's a serious warning of, of judgment for those who don't accept the message, right? To, back then, the Jews, if they had to walk through a Gentile area, when they were leaving the Gentile area and getting back on Jewish soil, they would like shake the dust off of their sandals or their shoes, right? To say, oh, man, I don't want any remnants of Gentileness coming over. I, it's a complete disassociation. That's what they did for Gentiles. But here Jesus is saying, you do that for the Jewish villages that won't receive the gospel. And that, in and of that, was, it, was, it was meant to be a warning right, to those who are not believing, who are not receiving the apostles, who are not believing that their message that Jesus has come, the king has come, and he's brought the kingdom of God. This is a... a huge warning, right? Because he says it's going to be more bearable on the day of judgment for the land of Sodom and Gomorrah than for that town. You know what happened to Sodom and Gomorrah, right? But Jesus is saying it's going to be even worse for them because the principle in Scripture is the the more truth you're exposed to, the greater the punishment when you reject that truth. And he's saying these, these towns are having the, the gospel preached to them. They're having the truth. And, and it's being demonstrated right before their eyes that the Messiah has come, that Jesus has come. And if they're going to reject that, it's, it's going to lead to eternal judgment if they continue to reject. And so that's a warning, right? It's a warning for all of us when the gospel is preached. May we, may we respond May we respond. May we believe. And so, again, we, now we have the apostles uh, the teaching. 
uh, recorded for us in the New Testament, we, we proclaim the same message, that the King has come, that Jesus has come, that he, he died, He's risen, He's reigning, He's building His kingdom, He's welcoming all those who believe into His kingdom, and that He's, re- he's coming again. And so we need to submit to Him and believe. And so I call all here today to believe, to turn to Jesus, to believe that the king has come, to believe that he is building his kingdom. Right now, that his kingdom exists in the midst of, of the domain of darkness, right? We see a lot of evil, and yes, we live in a fallen world, but God is building his kingdom in patches wherever the, wherever the people are responding to the gospel. He's building his church all around this world. And one day he's going to come back and establish his permanent physical kingdom, recreate the new heavens, the new earth. All, all those who are, are against him will be judged and, and, and punished forever. And so turn to the king now and enter his kingdom. He's a good king, right? We've seen his heart today. He's a loving king. And the last application I would just give us is just encourage us that we too have this good news to proclaim. Yes, the apostles were a unique group. They were personally sent out and personally given power. Uh, We're not apostles, but we have the word of God and we have the spirit of God. And so we can proclaim the gospel. We can proclaim that truth. Again, Matthew 28, 18, the Great Commission. Jesus said to them, all authority in heaven and on earth has been given to me. Go, therefore, and make disciples of all nations, baptizing them in the name of the Father and of the Son and of the Holy Spirit, teaching them to observe all that I have commanded you. And behold, I am with you always to the end of the age. Jesus is the risen and exalted Lord of the universe. He's been given the name that is above every name, and he's commissioned us to go and make disciples. Right? That's, that's our, our mission here at AGC. We are disciples making disciples. By God's grace, we're following Christ. We're seeking to learn from him, become like him, and worship him. But we are also in the process then called to make disciples as we follow Christ. And so let me encourage you to do that today. And again, to have confidence in the power of God. To pray. To, to pray as you're, as you're reading the Bible with your families, right? I know many of you do that, and I'm so thankful you do. As you gather around that dinner table or at the couch at night or whatever, and you're reading your Bible, you're, you're doing it in, in total dependence on God. Oh, God, please open the hearts of my kids. Oh, God, please keep us all uh, warm and, and following you. Keep our hearts warm and, and, and loving you. As, as you're out ministering in the schools or, the, or the, in your jobs, as you're out rubbing shoulders with your neighbors, You're praying just like Paul did in Colossians 4. God, give me an open door for the gospel. Give me an open door for the gospel and help me proclaim it boldly and clearly when you do give me that open door. Let my conversation always be full of grace and seasoned with salt. Let me, may may the love of Christ just flow through me. May they see that I'm so in love with Jesus that I have opportunities to point them to Jesus. May God help us to, to do that. May God give us increase, an increasing compassion for the lost. 
right? As we're following Christ and, and asking the Holy Spirit to, to make us more into the image of Christ, may He enlarge our heart for the lost. When we see those who are caught in their sin and, and who are rejecting the Savior, may, we, may our first response not be one of, Ugh. may it be one of pity. Because they're, they're harassed, they're in bondage. They're like sheep without a shepherd, but we know the good shepherd. And may God give us opportunities to, to point them to the shepherd, the shepherd of their souls. Let's pray. Father, we praise you for your, your mighty power, Lord. We praise you for just your, your love and grace that you did not leave this world in its fallen state, that you... Again, purely by your grace, you came and entered into this, this dark world. That Jesus is the light of the world and that he came, the long-awaited king, he came to, to reign and to push back the powers of darkness. And I praise you, Lord, as I look out and see all those here whom you've called to yourself. And now we are your salt and light. And so, Father, we pray that you will open our eyes to see the fields that are, that are white for harvest around us. May you enlarge our hearts and, and fill them with, with love and compassion for the lost. May you give us faith that the gospel is the, the power of God for salvation, that, that the gospel is true, that Jesus is Lord and Savior and that as we proclaim that, you, your spirit works in, in powerful ways to, to give life and give faith. May you be pleased to do that all around us, Lord. We do pray for our ministry partners again. May the gospel spread in, in, in all their uh, areas where they're ministering. Lord, we do pray for you to raise up more ministers. Like David said, we're praying for another chaplain, another full-time chaplain here in our area, in our jails. Lord, please, you are the Lord of the harvest. May you raise up a, a new worker for those fields in the, in the jails. May you raise up many here, Lord, to minister in different ways, whether it be, again, personally through the people you bring in across our path, whether it be mobilizing us in some way, as a church, Lord, we, we know that you gift and, and empower your body to serve. And so help us to, to serve, to be seeking your kingdom, because it is the kingdom that's going to last. In Jesus' name, amen. Will you stand, please, and we will sing another song of praise.